Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. They have players on that team that have won a championship. They have young players that are new filling in but have been around and you, you gotta love what Grayson Allen's doing you gotta love what Bobby Portis has done in these things and they've stepped up and played well and the Bulls have not been able to match that intensity for 48 minutes they've done it for parts of the games they've come back and they've made it interesting but for the whole game they just have not been able to answer what Milwaukee's doing and besides that Giannis is pretty good we're back live with more Rami McLaugh on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station that was Bill Wennington earlier today with Mark Grody right here on 670 The Score. I am Robbie Makloff with you for another hour here. We'll hear from Steve Stone and his conversation with uh, Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes earlier today. Oh, no, that was on the Parkins and Spiegels show, right? Am I right about that, Adam? Okay. But joining me now to talk some Chicago Bulls from the sporting news covering the NBA. Used to cover those Bulls for the Athletic is Steph No. Steph, how are you this evening, my man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I just, uh, today, it was it was brought to my attention. I'm, I'm going to talk some bulls with you in just a second, but my producer, Adam Stadzinski, pointed me in the direction of, of a music video that you send out after every bulls win. It's a guy playing a bongo and a dancing cat and various bulls of various eras dancing to the beat of that bongo drum. And I've watched it four times today because it just puts a smile on my face. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if you produced this stuff, but I want to thank you and Adam for bringing this into my world because it makes me smile. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's very kind of you to say. It's kind of sad to know that you've peaked at 37. You've already created the best <laughs> thing ever, but you know, I'll take it. Were you? Are you surprised by how this series has gone after after Chris Middleton goes down and the Bulls are able to even the series at one apiece? And I know a lot of Bulls fans were thinking, hey, maybe we got something here. Maybe we can take down the defending champs. Are you surprised that, that these last two games have gone the way that they've gone? I can't really say that I'm surprised. Like, if you've been paying attention to this team, it's been a real roller coaster of a season. So they started out the year... Uh, crushing expectations they were the number one team in the east for a long time but i mean this was uh this was coming if you saw the last month or so of the season they just weren't the same team they're not a deep team i think that's probably their biggest weakness so when they learned that they were going to miss lonzo ball for the rest of the year um i think that was just kind of the the nail in the coffin for these guys and they needed everything to break right to have a chance against the bucks and that just hasn't happened have you have you seen something that the Bucks are doing differently other than just guy other than just Giannis looking more like Giannis and Drew Holiday looking more like Drew Holiday and 
some of those role players doing what they've done in, in Chris Middleton's absence. Have you seen them from an X's and O's, a strategic standpoint, do something differently in these last two games that's throwing the Bulls off that rhythm that they seem to find? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing differently. I think the biggest thing is that they're loading up on DeMar DeRozan. Um, also, like earlier in the series, so the Bucks have two really, really good perimeter defenders. They have Drew Holiday and Wes Matthews. And when DeRozan is matched up against those guys, he just isn't able to score. So early in the series, um, the Bulls would run ball screens for DeRozan to get a weaker defender on him. And in those matchups, you know, he can get to his spots with the elbows. And that's why he had such a big game in, um, what was it, game two? Uh, so later on in the series, game three and game four, the Bucks weren't switching those ball screens as much. Also, they were sending like two or three guys to DeRozan and daring the other Bulls to beat them. And the, I mean, DeRozan's teammates just have not stepped up to the plate at all. I think that his numbers are down, but he's making the right passes to those guys and they're open. They're just not taking those shots. They're not confident in taking the shots. And when they try to take it to the rim, they're getting annihilated by the, the Bucks, who have great size uh, guarding the rim down low with Brooke Lopez and Giannis, who's also seven feet tall. So that, uh, that game plan credit to uh, Mike Budenholzer, it has completely stymied the Bulls in the last two games. Do you think that it's it's unfair then? Because DeMar DeRozan came to the Bulls with kind of a reputation of of, of not showing up for the postseason to, to some degree. It sounds like you're saying, no, he's making the right plays. He's maybe not filling up filling it up in terms of scoring, but he's making the right plays. Do you think it's unfair to say, well... This is further proof that DeMar DeRozan just isn't that guy that you need him to be in the playoffs. I do think that's unfair. I think, first of all, this is a bad matchup for him because most teams don't have two elite perimeter defenders like the Bucks do. So normally they're going to have to choose between putting one of those guys on DeRozan and one of those guys on Levine. And Levine has not had a good series this, uh, this series. I think that his knee looks like it's still kind of bothering him. He's been limping around in some of these games. And DeRozan has been the only guy who has been able to score at all. I mean, the Bulls' offensive rating, uh, I mean, I don't want to bore you with this statistics here, but it's been terrible. Like, they would be by far the worst offense in the regular season if they had kept these numbers up for, you know, for the course of 82 games. So DeRozan's doing his part for sure. It's, it's basically every other person on the team besides Alex Cruz, who has also been excellent. But, you know, the other eight guys that Billy Donovan is putting out there just are not getting the job done. How different do you think this series is with the healthy Lonzo Ball? And you just mentioned Zach Levine probably still feeling the effects of that knee injury with with the healthy Zach Levine. I think it makes a difference. They'd be more competitive, but they still need one or two more guys. Like if you look at playoff rotations, usually coaches will roll out seven guys for the playoffs. The Bulls only have, with Lonzo healthy, maybe five maybe six guys that are that would be 16-game players on, like, a contending team. So I think that was a little bit of a failing of the front office here. Just They had so many spots, you know, between 7 and 15. Try to find somebody. Um, Sunmu, he was giving them some really good minutes um, midway through the season, but he's a rookie. You can't really count on him in the playoffs, and they haven't really played him that much. So they, they need to find just some more depth pieces. And also Lonzo is a guy with an injury history. So you, you have to anticipate that this could have happened and they didn't have any insurance behind him. That is, again, just something that they're going to have to address in this offseason. Talking with Steph No of the Sporting News, covers the NBA, used to cover the Bulls for the Athletic. Rami Makhlouf, your host, on the score here on a Monday night. And that was, that was kind of the, the, the next question I wanted to ask you was, 
where where do they go from here? Because I, I think now even the most optimistic of Bulls fan, and if, if you had hopes after game two, you probably know it's it's just a matter of time at this point. How do they take that next step this offseason in, in building in building this team, Steph? It's going to be tough because they don't have a lot of money to spend under the salary cap. They have room for one starter, high bench level player. Um, I think it's a, like a $9 million exception that they could sign. And, you know, they used that really well last year. They got Alex Caruso in that salary slot. So you're going to ask Arturis Karnasovas to create another miracle there. And I, I really do think that they're close, though. Like the hardest pieces to fill out in a rotation are those top-level talents. They already have two guys who are very good in that regard. They just need that middle tier of player where they had nothing this season. If they can just get somebody like the Bucks have, you know, with Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, uh, Pat Connaughton, those guys have given the Bucks great minutes. They've completely demolished the Bulls bench. Um, and, and you can find those guys every year, so it's, it's not a hopeless endeavor here. See, I, I, I do think that, you know, getting the types of players that you're talking about, Steph, in, in the middle of that roster and some of the role players is, is something that they need to do, and it's important and will help close the gap with those teams. But while I, I have a lot of faith in the front office, the brain trust, and, and Billy Donovan for, for this Bulls organization, I look at the team on the floor right now, and not only did I have a hard time getting super excited about this team because I never thought they were a championship contender this season. I don't know that I see much higher of a ceiling for this team because it's a superstar driven league. And I don't know that we're going to see a better version of DeMar DeRozan in years to come or a better version of uh, Nikolai Vucevic in years to come, given those guys ages and stages in their career, unless there is a big leap coming for a Zach Levine or Alonzo Ball I feel like somehow, some way, still star power needs to be added to this team. Steph, do you disagree with that? I don't disagree if the goal is winning a championship. But the thing about it is, you know, every every team is in that same situation, right? And how do you get that top five talent? I mean, they're not going to come to a team that's rebuilding. They're not going to come to the Jim Boyle and Bulls and just come running to sign up for that, right? Like, right. Uh, the Bulls are in a much better situation than they were three years ago to land that kind of star this thing goes in stages, you know, they're in um, stage two of stage three, you know, they're at like negative stage five before. So you got to give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, it's, it's going to take some luck, but that's always what happens when you build a championship team, you have to get lucky and the bulls are putting themselves in a situation to get lucky and that's all they can do. Wanted to uh, talk about some, some of the, the other series going on around the NBA right now and some of the storylines around the NBA. I'm watching the Nets and Celtics as we speak, which I would guess you probably are too. Celtics lead that one 101 to 96. And man, it just seems like even in a playoff series, you know, Steph, during the regular season, I was like, all right, these these dramatic storylines of a Kyrie Irving and a, a Ben Simmons and James Harden when he was there, I can see why that stuff outshines the actual game. And we talk about that stuff more than we do their record or anything about basketball. But even in the playoffs, it seems like this series with the Celtics has become secondary to Kyrie Irving saying they need to gel when he's the reason that they need to gel. And still, as they take the court here tonight, without Ben Simmons after reports earlier in the week that he would take the floor for game four. What, 
is there is there any end in do they just have to break up the nets or is there no end in sight to the drama and constant turmoil that seems to surround that organization? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, Kyrie Irving's able to be a free agent this summer, so there's a decent chance that you know the the Nets lose him. Um, yeah, I mean they still have Simmons. I think they're kind of uh, I think they held him out of tonight's game just because they know that this season is pretty much over. Uh, they want to get him ready for next year. So you know if you still have those two guys, Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons, that's going to be a really good team coming out of the East. Um, yeah, as far as Kyrie, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't really know what to say about him. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> off the court stuff. You know, I'm sure you have filled many a uh, uh, time on your airwaves with uh, that kind of discussion. Talking with Steph No of the Sporting News here on 670 The Score for just a few more minutes. Do you think this Bucks team that that's that's facing the Bulls right now, or are they the class of the East, or are you you buying into the Celtics? It seems a lot of people are right now to come out of that side of the bracket. I do not buy the Bucks. No, I mean they're. I mean, Chris Middleton, that injury is huge for them. Um, they do look a lot better ever since Brooke Lopez got back. I think he's a very underrated part of their team. But, I mean, the Bulls were not a very good team against uh, the elite of the Eastern Conference. And the fact that the Bucks struggled so much, even when they did have Middleton, I mean, that's, that's not a great sign for them. Um, you know, last year they were a Kevin Durant shoe size away from getting knocked out against another Nets team that was decimated by injuries. I, I like the Celtics a lot more. The Sixers are having trouble closing out the Raptors, but I like them more. And I think the Heat are being slept on. They've dominated uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they lost one game, but the other three they've won have just been total blowouts. So I think those are probably the biggest contenders in the East, and I would put um, Milwaukee number four in that group. You know, I can't lie, Steph. The, I'm, I'm, I can't figure out the West. Every time I think I have the West figured out, I don't. I thought – I thought the Mavericks were, were were dead in the water in that series without Luka for the first couple of games, and they, they managed to pull out a couple, and then Luka comes back and they lose. I thought Memphis was an easy series victory over Minnesota. Obviously, that's not the case. And I, it, it just seems like every time I think I have the West figured out, the Suns look like the class of the conference, then they lose Devin Booker. Now they're tied to a piece with, with the Pelicans, and, and Golden State now looks like a team Again, that could make a deep run and and, and on to a championship. How, how do you see the West playing out? Well, the Warriors are favorites. Um, you know, the Suns were in pretty good shape, but Chris Paul, um, he, he seemed to hurt his hand last game. I don't think anything was reported about it, but he was holding his hand, and, of course, they're missing Devin Booker for a while. So I think you have to put the Warriors ahead of them. They've rolled out this new five-man lineup. They have this infamous death lineup, you know, with uh, Harrison Barnes, their first iteration, and then they replaced Barnes with Kevin Durant. That was an amazing lineup. But now they're uh, putting Jordan Poole in that Kevin Durant spot. I think a lot of people who don't have league pass, who haven't watched every Warriors game, maybe they're not as familiar with Poole, but he has been a spectacular player for the Warriors, uh, very much in that mold of Steph Curry. Of course, not at Curry's level, but um, turned himself into a great shooter, uh, great on movement. He plays well in that warrior system where they have so much uh, intelligence with cutting off each other. Uh, and that lineup has been unstoppable. They haven't played that much uh, together, but against the Nuggets, every time they roll it out, I mean, the Nuggets cannot stop them at all. Uh, that five-man group is definitely going to play a ton more as the playoffs progress. 
And you're going to hear a lot more about it because it's going to take them very far. That is Steph No. Check out his work covering the NBA for the Sporting News and follow him on Twitter and see that amazing music video I was talking about at the start of the discussion. <laughs> at Steph No. Steph, appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot. All right, you got to send me a clip of you dancing and I'll throw you in there. <laughs> Don't be careful what you ask for, Steph. Appreciate you joining <laughs> me this evening. He joins me on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Nobody wants to see me dance. There's not one person on this earth that wants to see me dance. That that music video, very popular, makes people smile, makes people laugh, puts you in a good mood. Put me in that thing dancing, all that changes. Let's not do that. Let's let's not ruin a good thing. And let's hear from Steve Stone. He talked earlier on the Parkins and Spiegel show about the struggles of this White Sox squad, and we'll hear that next right here on 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back live with more Rami McLaugh on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Hi, I'm Rami McLaugh on 670 The Score, live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers, Adam Studzinski. 
on the other side of the glass. I do want to, uh, before we get out of here, give kudos to uh, Kyle Schwarber, who spoke for all of us last night, and also maybe talk some bears before I wrap things up at 9 o'clock. But earlier today, Steve Stone, White Sox color analyst for NBC Sports Chicago, he joined the guys on the Parkins and Spiegel show. We'll bring you that right here, right now on 670 The Score. Stoney, let's talk about Reese McGuire for a second before we get to the bad stuff. Um, Reese McGuire is a terrific defensive catcher, isn't he? He's not the problem of late. No, actually, he made one of the the great plays I've seen when he was hustling down the line, shadowing Sano. And, of course, I think there's a lot of people can beat Sano down the line. They probably can't hit it as far as he can. But he was in a perfect spot when Leary threw that ball well wide of the first base bag. He was able to make sure it didn't go into the dugout, which maybe could have turned that uh, that particular inning around. But it was a great job of backing up. And uh, he throws very well. No, he's, he's, a, he's a fine defensive catcher. It's something that you're looking for if you're if your number one catcher is an offensive guy and Grandal is one of those guys you want to make sure your number two catcher is a, a good handler of pitchers and and certainly one of those guys that can block it call it catch it and throw it and I think Reese is one of those guys so Stoney what what about the defensive problems of late uh, this team leads Major League Baseball in errors there have been some sloppy throws to the cutoff man or over the cutoff man it um you know, and even some of the coaches have said it. Frank Manichino said the mental part of the game is getting to us right now, and you can't have that. What do you What do you see when you see this team playing defense? Well, there is no doubt that this was never going to be the number one defense in the major leagues. We had a pretty good idea about that going in, but we had hoped. And I remember um, I had a, a really nice discussion with Tony in November. I went to his event in Las Vegas. It was one of the one of the speakers, one of the moderators there. Uh, um, and what I talked to him about was what happened last year with the defense and the thought process and a lot of different things. And uh, Tony was always one of those guys who was very much attuned to execution, both offensively and defensively, but he knew how important execution was on the defensive side. And he, he said, you know, last year was a getting-to-know-you year for me as far as the players were concerned, but I'm looking forward to this year to have a full spring training to take them through exactly what I want to take them through and spend a great deal of time working on uh, defensive execution, where to be and what to do in every certain situation. And that would have required six to six-and-a-half weeks of spring training. And one of the things that was disappointing about what happened with this negotiation, which led to an accelerated spring training, was that Tony and his staff didn't have near as much time in the spring to work on that. And so um, when you look at what's happened so far, to say that this start is awful would be understating it. it it's been disappointing. It hasn't been a, a good start by any stretch of the imagination. There hasn't been really one aspect of the game, save maybe for a couple of left-handers out of the bullpen who've done a really nice job. I mean, up until the last couple of performances, Graveman was very good, but the left-handers have been particularly good. Tanner Banks has been good. Sousa has been good. Uh, the bullpen, by and large, has done a pretty nice job. But 
I, I think uh, Liam doesn't have uh, doesn't have a good feel for it yet. I don't think he was entirely healthy when he went out there. I think he tweaked his back. It might have been on that awful throw from Grandal where he reached across his body and you could see him grimace. But Liam's not going to make any excuses. When they went out to ask him what's going on, he said, hey, I'm fine. And uh, the only thing you can look at that and say, okay, 3-1 and one to Buxton, uh, maybe a slider as opposed to a fastball. That would be the one thing that I would look at and say, you know what, this is probably the best pitch. However, everybody wants to point to that Buxton thing as a definitive moment maybe in this entire uh, entire road trip. Uh, I'll tell you what the thought process was, and then I'll tell you that it didn't work. The thought process was find some way to get by Buxton, and quite obviously uh, Geo had a good way to get by him, throwing a lot of sliders, and then – throwing high fastballs up and out of the zone. He struck him out three times. So the thought process was possibly a strikeout of Buxton. Then you put a rise at first base. Then you try to end it with Polanco. It quite obviously didn't work. It was a three-run homer. And, uh, you know, that's that's just one of those things. That, that happens. And when you're already in the throes of a six-game losing streak before then, then it compounds it. But I had no problem with initially throwing to Buxton because I knew what the game plan was going to be at that point. And, you know, Arise is hitting 340, 345. You can't strike him out. He hits the ball hard. There's no doubt about that. So that wasn't a great option, but that was, I think, Tony's plan to try to end that with Polanco, and we all know that it didn't work. Yeah, Arias hits in four out of his last five games. You knew he was hot, someone that could potentially win that game for you, and I, and I see that. And Speaks and I were talking a second ago about how Tony ultimately felt as though Liam, Liam could get the job done in that position. And, and, and you mentioned it is good that we have other arms in the, in the bullpen, like Tanner Banks has been pitching extremely well. But you look at the 6-9 and nine start, Steve, and you can only say to yourself, as a Sox fan like I am, you know, I'm still optimistic, but can you tell the casual fan from what you see why they still should be? Well, I would, I would key on the number 15, Gabe. The number 15 is very important here. And it's very important because that's the amount of games that have been played out of a 162-game season. If the whole world wants to give up two weeks, two and a half weeks into a championship season, those are probably not the guys you want to be in a foxhole with because there is so long to go. And then I look at the standings, and I see one and a half games back. Um, I do also see a seven-game losing streak where nothing, nothing really went right. And there was letdowns in every aspect of the game. So what this team has to do, and we know that, they have to start hitting the ball a whole lot better. I mean, during the course of this uh, seven-game losing streak, they're averaging a little over two runs a game. That normally is not going to get a whole lot of wins. And so I take a look at one thing, and I don't – you know, I cautioned about this from the beginning. It speaks and probably tell you I've been talking about this. In an accelerated spring training, it's not just the White Sox but it has specifically happened to the Sox. You're going to get injuries all over baseball because of a three-and-a-half-week spring training, warm weather, players who are used to warm weather, and then suddenly you go into cold weather, and it's the short burst of accelerations that do in a lot of hamstrings. And this is what's happened. But more than that, I defy you to find one team in this game who can lose their starting left fielder, they're starting center fielder. For all intents and purposes, they're starting right fielder because Pollock just came back and he hasn't had a hit since he's come back. So that's your entire outfield down. Your third baseman is out. 
your second baseman is out. Two of your starting pitchers are out. Unfortunately, we've got Gio coming back, and I thought he looked really, really good. And, you know, if he is healthy and doesn't go on the injured list, they're not going to hit him in that ballgame. That ballgame is going to be won by the Sox, going to be won 3-1, to one, whatever the case may be. But that's happened a couple times. You have to monitor the pitching of Kopech because this is going to be his first year as a full-time starter. You don't want him to pick up too many innings. So there's a lot of things that are based on an accelerated spring training. And so for me, I look at this and I said, you know, thank goodness we're a game and a half back. Could be a lot worse. Might be in another division. I mean, you, you look at what's happening in the National League East where you got the Mets at 12-5. and five. Uh, you look at the West, where you have the Dodgers 11 and four, and San Francisco 11 and five, along with Colorado off to a good start. They won't be there at the end, but they're there now. But there's teams that got off to great starts. Fortunately, it has not happened in the American League Central. So let's play what if. What if the Sox do win that ball game, and they find themselves seven and eight, and then they find Minnesota at seven and nine? And they find the Indians at seven and eight. All of this hysteria would have probably been put to bed because the Sox would have been right there, right there with the division, looking at the division, and uh, you know they would be they would be still where where they are now, maybe a game or a game game and a half closer. I mean, that's kind of how things have gone. Mm-hmm. So Minnesota had a great series. The Guardians had a very good series against the Sox. But at the end, the Twins are 8-8, eight and eight, the Guardians are 7-8, and eight, the Sox in Detroit 6-9, and nine, Kansas City 5-9. and nine. I think that the Sox are going to start playing good baseball, but I told you at the beginning of the season before we ever threw a pitch that health was an enormous question mark for most teams. I couldn't envision the amount. I couldn't envision eight guys on the injured list for the Sox. And, and that's kind of it. So, you know, for for a lot of fans who are right now apoplectic about what's going on, you know, be as disappointed as you like. But this idea that you want to fire the hitting coach and you want to fire Tony and you want to fire this guy and you want to fire the front office, you want to fire everybody. Hmm. I mean, that's a little unrealistic, boys. You're 15 games in the season. You're sitting, you want to fire everybody associated with this team when a short time ago, this team had a tremendous amount of promise and still does if they can get these guys who are injured back. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we're going to find out about Eloy tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know if anybody does at this point, but they're going to take uh, some in-depth looks at that, probably take an MRI. If it is, in fact, a tear, and we don't know that, but if it is a tear, there's going to have to be some surgery involved, which is a long-term procedure. But right now, the estimates, and again, I will stress that they are estimates, nothing else. It's six to eight weeks. That, to me, would be very optimistic. I'm hoping that's the case because that is a huge bet out of the lineup. And, uh, you know, as far as Robert is concerned, he's supposed to come back tomorrow, but maybe they give him an extra day or so. Uh, because they want to make sure that coming back from a groin injury, the last thing you want to do is have him getting hurt again. So, you know, this has been a banged-up ball club. And I, I tell you what, the Guardians looked really good against our ball club in Cleveland. How about if you take Ramirez out of that lineup? How about if you take Reyes out? Take both of them out. How's that, how's that lineup going to look? 
How are they going to play? And throw in Bieber, maybe he goes down, and probably Plesak, which is essentially the equivalent of what the Sox are going through. How do the Guardians look if you take them and subtract them from that team? Mm-hmm. They don't look real good. You think the the uh, the Cleveland fans would be yelling for Terry Francona to be fired? I don't think so. So we we just sit with what we got. We wait to get healthy and see what happens. Steve Stone is our guest here on Parkinson Spiegel on the score. It's been a brutal run of injuries. Your guy Chris Kampka on your production crew had the number 10 games total is what the core six has played together since Grandal got here. That's Grandal, Robert, Abreu, Jimenez, Tim Anderson, and Moncada. 10 games total. Yeah. Those, those I mean, it, six, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it, is, it is absolutely unbelievable. Um, I do need to ask you about Tony. I, you know, sure. there's, there's a commonality in terms of what his philosophy seems to be that's kind of rising, and that is a tremendous respect for contact bats, and singles, you know, um, whether it is having Liuri up high in the order or whether it is fearing a rise um, as opposed to Buxton. Think of that you can strike out guys uh, who are power guys and that the contact guys will get you. But, you know, I, I, I've always respected, Sony how you've been around so long and know so much about baseball history, but have, have evolved and grown along with some of the math and some of the philosophies that have evolved. And I feel like Tony, do you think Tony's value of contact bats and the single it fits the current climate of baseball and baseball theories? Well, I think if Tony could have a healthy Eloy and a healthy Luis, an entirely healthy Grandal, because he hasn't been swinging it either, don't forget. I mean, you know, what he brought to the table when his knee got healthy last year was unbelievably good. Right now, he's just not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. If Tony could have those guys hitting, he would love to have them hit. He would love to see home runs. I mean, look, if you have, let's say, just coincidentally, you have McGuire and you have Conseco on your baseball team, as Tony had in Oakland. Well, he wasn't hitting and running with those guys. He was pretty happy that they were hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So you have to play with what you have. And if Tony had a team that was going to hit 240 home runs, he'd be dancing in the streets. As this team is configured right now, it can't possibly hit 240 home runs because the home run hitters are not there. They're going to be there a little bit more when the weather heats up. We get a little more consistent. But right now, this team is not hitting the long ball. So you can't sit back and say, you know what, I'm just going to play for the long ball if you know it's not coming. Then you have to do something else. And one of the things that he tried to do was get more aggressive on the base paths. Now, we've had six guys thrown out at the plate. That leads the major leagues in that department. But I'm not ready to shut down a running offense when this team is not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And, you know, I have some of the the delightful tweetsters talking about the fact that how could Joe McEwing send Abreu in that situation where, you know, the Sox were already up, Abreu gets cut down at the plate. And what I had to mention to this very avid Sox fan was that the man coming up next was Leary. Leary's two for the season. So you take a chance on the left fielder making you a pinpoint throw, the catcher holding on to the baseball, the catcher making a tag, and Jose not beating the play. As it turned out, that's exactly what happened. It was a one-hop, perfect throw to the plate, catcher held on, and he was thrown out at the plate. I don't second-guess that in the least. 
because maybe the throw's off target. Maybe the catcher drops the ball. Maybe everything. But I go back to the fact that the next guy coming up is Leary, and he's two for the season. Mm-hmm. So for me, those are type of gambles that are not done just simply because a ball's hit to left field and you wait and see what happens. You have to know the surrounding aspect of your ball club. Who's coming up next? What pitcher's on the mound? How has he been against this particular guy? And then you take your gamble, but the gamble has to be aggressively. So outside of the fact that this team isn't hitting like they can, outside of the fact that they're not playing defense and hopefully they'll get a whole lot better there, um, you're also basically running into some great throws from the outfield in an era where outfielders don't make great throws. I don't want to take the aggressiveness away from a team that is not winning games with the long ball because then you have to win them with relatively small ball, and, you know, those kind of things happen. There's nothing quite so wonderful as a red-hot baseball team, and there's nothing quite so sad and, and depressing as a team in a losing streak. The vibes are bad. Some of the players' quotes are rough, man. What, what do they need to do to snap out of it tonight and on this homestand, or tomorrow, I should say? Yeah, tonight they won't snap out of it. Tonight will be a night of reflection and maybe maybe go out and have a good steak, maybe, you know, a, an adult beverage or two and just kind of get away from this. But, you know, I've been on teams and associated with teams that have gone through all of this kind of stuff, and you're not going to have a team that doesn't go into a slump. Uh, I remember a, a, a bad team, and I can't remember which team it was last year, went into Houston and took three games from them in their home ballpark. And, you know, everybody, I'm sure, in Houston looked at it and said, well, well, how did that happen? Well, that happens. So what you have to do is very simple. Um, sometimes, and again, sometimes, and I don't know what's going to happen with these guys, but sometimes you have a players-only meeting. And then it comes to the idea that the only people who can get out of this are the players themselves. And you can sit back as a whole, in this case, a 28-man roster. You can sit back. And by the way, there's a lot of guys grinding right now because that roster has to change on May 2nd. It has to go to 26. But you meet as a team, and you realize that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen from this locker room, from no place else. You're not going to get anybody feeling sorry for you. You're not going to get any other team playing you with less than a great deal of intensity. And they have to match that intensity with their own. You can't obsess on who's not there. They would love to have a healthy Aloy. They would love to have a healthy Luis. They would love to have Harrison back. They would love to have Moncada back. The fact is they're not going to get them back for a while. I think Luis is the first guy that comes back, and the rest will come back in different stages. They would love to have Lance Lynn there to pick up the slack. And a healthy, at this point, uh, a healthy uh, crochet, he's not going to be back for 14 months. But that's not going to happen. So you bear down as a team, you hustle every chance you get, you work that much harder, and you try to win every inning. That's the thing. Guys, this is the key to this whole, this whole business, is you break a difficult goal down to its simplest parts. And the difficult goal is winning a Major League Baseball game. And the simplest parts is you win each at bat. If you're a pitcher, you win that at bat. You get the guy out. If you're a hitter, you hit the ball hard, and then after that, you know, you, you let whatever happens, happens. But a pitch at a time, a play at a time, an inning at a time, 
you break a hole down to its simplest parts, and eventually you break this streak. I mean, Cincinnati won a ball game too. They lost a lot in a row. They actually won one. They were a pretty happy group. Yeah. As this group will be when they do win a baseball game. I'm thinking it's it's going to be hopefully tomorrow against Kansas City. They're coming to town. The Angels follow them. I'd like to see this turned around a bit with Kansas City. The Angels are a pretty good baseball team and they got some really really great stars on that team, so that will be interesting. But that's the only thing you can do. Nobody's going to give you anything. And if you put your head down and you have an oh-woe-is-me attitude about these injuries or this losing streak or where they are in the division, that's counterproductive. You have to go out. You have to have a good and positive attitude on a daily basis and just keep grinding because it's still it's still April 25th, boys. We got a lot of games left. There's Steve Stone earlier today on Parkins and Spiegel, and hopefully making you feel a little bit better about where the White Sox are right now, despite a seven-game losing streak. And you can always count on Steve Stone for some level-headed, reasonable breakdown of what's going on here. And he's right, man. I when when you list off all the injuries, it, it's 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 daunting to to think that that this team could could just overcome all that and when you look at all that it kind of makes sense that they are where they are but but as you heard Steve say brighter days are ahead try try not to get too down on this White Sox team we're 15 games into the season it's okay to get down on Angel Hernandez though and Kyle Schwarber did that and he did it for all of us and we'll talk about it right after this on the score here it comes cold strike three and Schwarber is thrown out of the game and he had Zero issue with getting thrown out, making it very clear you've missed him inside, outside, up and down. We're back live with more Rami McLaughlin on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Phillies TV on the call there. That's Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, he knew he was getting ejected. That was that was the plan. That was the ninth inning against the Brewers last night. And if you've seen it, if you've seen it. This man was arguing for both teams. I don't know. If the, I don't know that I've ever seen that. I don't know that I've ever seen a manager or a player in Major League Baseball literally go out there and fight for both teams. Multiple people read his lips, and he said, "For both sides, you've been bleeped up all night long." Talking to Angel Hernandez about his strike zone, and I was watching that game as is part of my job as the host of the afternoon show on twelve fifty AM, the Fan. Up in Milwaukee, I was wa- and he was absolutely right, much to no one's surprise when we're talking about Angel Hernandez, that Kyle Schwarber was absolutely 100% correct that both teams hated him and his strike zone last night. And Kyle Schwarber wasn't just talking for, for Phillies fans or for Brewers fans or for those teams. He was speaking for all of us. If you love the sport of baseball, then you got a problem with Angel Hernandez. And man, can we just can we just get the robot strike zone already? Like what what in the hell are we waiting for? It, it's somewhat somewhat unfair to Angel Hernandez to even ask him to do what he's doing. There is no other job on this planet that requires the precision that it would take to accurately call balls and strikes that we've left up to human eyes and intuition there isn't there isn't one there isn't one 
job or task on the planet that requires what it would take to accurately and correctly call balls and strikes that we've left up to human beings. We have the technology. Let's use it and let's get rid of Angel Hernandez or make him as little a part of the game we all love as possible. My thanks to Adam Studzinski on the other side of the glass on the ones and twos and for tracking down Patrick Nolan of Sox Machine and Steph No of the Sporting News. If you missed either of those, they'll be up on your Odyssey app or at 670thescore.com. I am Rami Makhlouf saying thanks for listening. I'll check you out next time right here on 670 The Score. I would love to know what goes on in your brain. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.